I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome a force for freedom, Dawn Mansky. Dawn is the CEO and founder of Made for Freedom. Her company empowers women around the world through dignified employment in the fight against human trafficking. Dawn lived in China for 10 years visiting orphanages full of little girls, which taught her about the horrors of trafficking. And after getting to know children and teens that have been victims of human trafficking, she realized that she wanted to have an impact. Her dream to help rescue and restore trafficked people started with a pair of pants. She realized that if there was any way that she could help girls by selling pants, she would. This increased her understanding of using solid ethical business practices to create systemic social change. Dawn shares some of her keen insight into the world of human trafficking and how we can effectively help women to move into a place of safety, healing, and inspiration and empowerment in their lives. Dawn shares about the five key components of exploitation and how we can create social enterprises where for-profit meets impact. It's a really profound and enlightening conversation into a topic that all of us have heard a lot about yet may not truly understand the reality of. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hi, Dawn. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Very happy to have you here. Very excited to have you as a guest on the show and to have been connected. So glad that we yeah. found each other through the virtual realms and came together very synchronistically. Because <laughs> you have an incredible story and you do really remarkable work. And it's in the, the field of something that many of us hear about, but don't always really understand human trafficking. Mm, yeah. And you have a really unique insight and understanding of what that really means, where it's happening, and what can be done to help the situation. So Dawn, you are the CEO and founder of Made for Freedom. Can you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about this company that you started, what you do, and what kind of life you've created for yourself with this business? Sure, I would be happy to. So Made for Freedom is a social enterprise, which is, I think, kind of the best way to describe it. And that's taking business concepts, business principles, and applying them in such a way that they really are impactful to making this world a better place. So Made for Freedom products are made by women and men who have been rescued or have survived human trafficking, or are incredibly vulnerable to it. So I would say made by survivors of human trafficking and marginalization. So all of our products are made by these people, which means the people making our products, one, were in a very difficult place, but two, now have dignified employment, which means a living wage, which means they're provided with services, which means they have the dignity from creating beautiful things and making the money that they need 
to help them get out of some of that vulnerability. Wonderful. And what do you do through this business? What do you create? What do you offer? What did you make sort of your focus with Made for Freedom? We started with pants and those were incredibly fun, but that was, wow, we got our first order of pants in 2014. And after that, we realized that there were all sorts of groups around the world working with these vulnerable populations and these survivors that desperately needed, they needed partners to help them get their products out. So we partner with centers in, we have about 15 partners right now. We've partnered with over 20 different centers, but these centers are providing the the training, the services, the counseling, the insurance, you know, like they're providing all these different things so that these people, so that the survivors and the marginalized are provided for. But that means that we have these amazing products that they, they're a, a whole variety of things. We have scarves, we have t-shirts, we have jewelry, we have bath and body made by different groups. So for example, our bath and body, we have some new soaps that are beautiful and they smell amazing and some candles made by survivors of domestic violence in the United States. And that, that in itself is a vulnerable situation. You know, and we have some necklaces, one of my favorite necklaces. It's a stainless steel bar and it has writing on three sides. It says, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And these were assembled and put together by survivors of sex trafficking coming out of different parts of Asia. You know, so we have partners all over the world making an impact in people's lives. And we do it with these incredible products that you know, are lovely to look at, they're lovely to give, but the impact behind them is just life-changing. And so how did it start with pants or even just a product? Were you in fashion? Were you in design before you started this company? Did you already have, you know, sort of a inkling towards doing that sort of work or did it come around for a reason? Well, I would say there are a couple ways to look at it. And one really simple way. I would say God dropped it in my lap because I wasn't, I was not looking for it. But the way that happened was it really kind of funny. And I would say it was three things, but it wasn't really three things. So I was learning about this issue. I lived in China for 10 years. And during my time there, I met youth I met children and I met, well, they became teens. I guess I met them before they were even teenagers. I met children who were living on the streets and a friend of mine explained they had been trafficked in from the rural parts of China. So these incredibly impoverished areas, these bosses would go there and say to the families, I can take your son or your daughter to the big city. There's so many opportunities and there's so much money And I can take them to the big city and they will make a lot of money and they can send money back to you. And the families, very desperate in in very vulnerable situations, agreed to that, not really knowing what was going to happen. But these kids were usually, I would say, often sexually abused. 
And in this particular case, they were used as labor. So this was labor trafficking. The kids were sent out in the late afternoon to beg, to wash windows, to sell flowers, and all of that money would go back to the boss. So I got to understand this and I knew these kids and I, I actually was able to visit China a couple of years ago with my husband and was able to connect with some of these kids again. And they are, they are adults and they're professionals and they're, they're thriving and they're doing amazing things because they were brought out of this. And, you know, so I, I started to see it and I started to understand it. And, and another element of living in China during another one of the other cities I lived in, a friend of mine was rallying people to go to the orphanages to just go, just go and show some affection, allow these little babies to just play and to get out of their little, their little chairs that they were basically tied to all day. So we would go and we would play with them. We'd take them to the park. And I was just blown away at the number of females and, you know, one of the, one of the vulnerabilities that I talk about, I'm all over the place, sorry, but one of, one of the vulnerabilities that, that is so prominent with exploitation is extreme poverty or poverty. Okay. So in that the kids being brought in from the small towns, they were coming from impoverished areas where they were so vulnerable because they couldn't afford to feed all their kids. Well, then another vulnerability that we don't see as much in the United States and in certain parts of the world, but definitely evident in other parts of the world is devaluation of the girl child. So when a pregnant mom says, I'm going to have a daughter and friends and family offer sympathy like that is something we just don't understand. We don't experience that here. But I was going to these orphanages, these little baby girls that had been abandoned for the sole reason that they were girls. You know, so here in, in just living in my time in China, I saw two of these vulnerabilities in my face and, and the detrimental acts that happen or the, the situations that these kids end up in. So go to China. I see this. I come back to the United States. And while I, I went to seminary and while I was there, I was at an informational lunch that was put, put together by IJM, International Justice Mission. And it was this undercover reporter that went into the back streets of Cambodia and asked for the youngest girls he could find. And you, there's this video that come that you see these young girls, like a range of girls, and they look like they're maybe seven to thirteen. And this this guy brings in a group of young girls, and and I just remember watching this, and my heart breaking, and and turned my stomach, and I just thought, this is so heinous, like this is such a horrible thing, and they're. There are children growing up like this. And I don't understand that. And there are people who want this. And I don't understand that. And there are other people that are forcing children to grow up in a world like this. And all of it just was kind of whirling around in my brain. And that was where I really 
kind of, it sunk in like, this is a global thing. This isn't just the kids I met in China. This is happening around the world. And I really started digging in and researching it and trying to understand it a little better. But I had no idea how I could help. So fast forward a little bit. And I meet this incredibly handsome young man. So I married him. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the short version. But while we were engaged, he met, he took me to another town to meet one of the guys that was going to be a groomsman. And they took us to this nice little shop. And I saw these sandals. And I read the story about these sandals. And it was this amazing story about how the the jobs provided and the young ladies making these sandals helped them further their education, which offered them so much more opportunity in life than would have happened otherwise without this job making the sandals. Okay, they were cute sandals. And I love the sandals. I love the story. I would say that was really my introduction to social enterprise. I had seen businesses functioning in a way that they were helping people prior to that, but this one really sunk in. So I hinted that I really wanted the sandals and my husband or soon to be husband had no clue. He wasn't good at the hint, but his friend caught it and she reminded him, Hey, don't really like these sandals. So that became a wedding gift for me. And another wedding gift came from a friend of mine who was coming to the wedding she was teaching in Thailand at the time, and I had gotten some really fun pants from Thailand while I was living in China called fisherman pants. And I said to my friend, I said, could you please bring me some fisherman? Well, no, actually, she said, what do you want for your wedding? And I said, you are coming from Thailand for my wedding. You don't need to give me a gift. That is the gift. But she's from Wales. And I, all of my British friends, Welsh friends, they are so formal and they're so polite. And I knew she was going to get me something. So I thought, well, I may as well tell her something I want. So she brought fisherman pants. So we get married. The next day, I'm going on my honeymoon with my husband. What do you think I'm wearing? I'm wearing my pants. I'm wearing my sandals. I'm pretty excited. Well, a TSA agent comments on my pants. The flight attendant comments on my pants. And that was just the beginning of months of people commenting on these pants. And so I had several pair. I went to visit a friend in the hospital. A total stranger came up and said, hey, where did you get those pants? And literally a woman chased me through a parking lot. She's like, where did you get those pants? And I'm thinking, this is crazy. <laughs> this is Absolutely. Something's going on here. Right. Like, what is up with it? I know I like the pants, but obviously this is something. I can't find them in the United States. And these women are interested. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just start importing pants. But then that's just not, that's just not really who I am. I, I love helping people. I love stepping into difficult situations if there's a need I have two degrees in education and one in theology. Notice the lack of business there. <laughs> so my And I, I have no desire to just start a business selling pants. But the combination of could these pants 
be the foundation of a business that could help people? Could, could these be the foundation of a social enterprise that could help women coming out of this horrible situation that I'm seeing? And the three of those together, that I was like, for that, I would sell pants. So I, I kind of started thinking about, like, so this is within a month of getting married. This idea is spinning in my head and I can't think about anything else. So I go and I talk to a man who's in the fashion industry and I say, here's my idea. And I'm so excited about it. And I'm looking at research trips to India so that I can better understand trafficking and I'm reading and I'm just like, I am, I am all in. And this man says, okay, well, he talked to me for quite a while, but he, he, he gave me three things to focus on. Number one, write your executive summary. Number two, get a trademark on the name. Number three, write your business plan. And I'm like, okay, and I'm taking notes. And I, for 20 minutes, he's giving me all this information, but those are the top three. And so I walk out of his office, not, I'm just too embarrassed to admit it to him, but I walk out of my office and I reorder and I'm like, okay, number one, Google, what is an executive summary? (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I started. I started with these crazy pants and an idea to help survivors of sex trafficking through social enterprise. And I had, I, I didn't even know what an executive summary was, but I spent a couple of years really digging in, doing the research. Um, and we got the pants a couple of years later. And while I was on the research trip, I was introduced to all these other groups and agencies that are working with survivors. One of them is in Kolkata. It's a red light district. No, Kolkata is the capital of West Bengal. Within Kolkata or Calcutta, the English way to say it is the Calcutta, within that city, there is a red light district that has just just one of them has over 11,000 women being prostituted out. And this this, these numbers, I just, I can't even fathom. So how is it that there are these, that there are this many women that are being forced into this situation or they feel that's their only option? Well, there's a group and we went to visit them and they work with ladies coming out of that red light district. They teach them how, they teach them how to read and write. They teach them how to sew and then they provide jobs for them and they make the most amazing t-shirts. Like it's this organic cotton. It's kind of buttery to the touch. I mean, they're so amazing. And so that was how they got started. And now they're doing other things. They're doing bracelets, they're doing scarves, but they're also doing the screen printing. So, you know, I got to meet these people and I talked to the owner, the, the guy who started that. And I said, here's my idea. I'm, I'm thinking about doing something with these crazy pants. (laughs) Do you think that this is, is this worthwhile? Is this needed? And he was, he was so adamant. He's like, we absolutely need freedom businesses that are focused on providing jobs for those coming out of this situation. 
So that was very encouraging to hear that from him. And so we started partnering with them and we have t-shirts from them. And then I was, get, I got a call from a group that was in the Northern part of China. And she's like, we work with ladies coming out of red light districts in, in Beijing and out of other parts of Asia. Would you consider us as a supply, you know, as a supplier? And I, you know, so over the years I connected with different groups and was just, I'm just kind of blown away at the different stories and the different situations and how these centers are, they're not, they're not just providing jobs, they're, they're impacting attitudes, you know, so on one of my trips, I was, I, I had a, goodness gracious, I had a layover for eight hours or something, and I, I talked to somebody else in the country, so someone else in China, and I said, I have a layover in this city. Is there anyone that I should be talking to? Because people in this realm, the people, those of us that are really focusing on trying to provide dignified employment for survivors, there aren't a lot of us, there aren't enough of us. And we kind of know each other. We know about each other and it's a great network. And so one person was calling me saying, would you please consider us as a supplier? And I said, I would love to, but right now, I'm about to go get on a plane and I'm visiting seven, seven different countries. Do you know of anyone I should talk to in this city? And she said, I do. So she connected me with someone and it was maybe a 12 hour layover. I had like a 12 hour layover and I called them and I was able to connect and have a meeting and go visit the center uh, for an hour. You know, and this, this woman was telling me that they have, they have people on staff that go into the community every day and they, they get to know the women who are working in the red light districts and they just kind of get to know them by name and they build relationships with them and they get to know the store owners and they get to know the people who live in the area and they get to know the brothel owners. And that kind of shocked me. I was like, really? And she said, yeah, you know, and she said, uh, there was one of these brothel owners and they just kind of kept talking to her and building this relationship. And at a certain point, the brothel owner brought all of her girls together. And she said, go home to your families. Don't ever do this again. And she turned her space into a restaurant. So it's, it's impact like that, that is so much more than a necklace, but because the jobs, because we are partnering with these groups and buying things from them and getting them to a larger audience, they are able to provide training, provide the therapy, the services, change attitudes about women. I don't know. Did that answer your question? I'm all over the place. Oh yeah, no, completely. You're giving such a wonderful description and just painting a beautiful picture of, of what you've seen, Don. because again, most people don't get to see this firsthand or gain an understanding, you know? And so when you talk about how all these pieces come together and how you meet different people and you find different connections and just get, you know, it's because we know that these issues are complex, 
right? Whether it's human trafficking or it's the issue of homelessness, these things that we've been addressing for decades and we don't seem to be able to know what to do to really create a solution. So all we can do is to find viable options for improvement. And I think the good news about both of these areas is I think, you know, our instinct is to want to fully eradicate these things that are causing so much suffering and harm to people. But the reality is that just, you know, every single life that is able to escape these situations is a huge victory. And so to be able to do that in your own way is incredible. And to inspire others to see that they can be a part of that is very inspiring. And I think the more that people have hope around that, that they can and have the ability to make a difference Mm -hmm. is huge because I think too often we look at issues in the world and it feels so giant and so heavy that we just say, oh, I can't even look at it. It's too much. I mean, because what you described on, I think any of us who've taken a moment to consider the actual concept of human trafficking and what that means, it's almost too much to hold, to Mm -hmm. comprehend that that is the reality that some children are are literally born into a world that doesn't seem to care for them and not only care for them, but that will put them in, in harm's way to gratify others. And it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that and what that would mean. But the problem is that it's very much a reality. Right. You know, there was, um, one of the most, now there are multiple, (laughs) um, there are just, there's some, it's a tragic thing. But during one of the visits, I was with a group and we were, it was a research trip specifically. And we were taken to a, um, basically kind of a safe house where girls were rescued from a red light district nearby. And it's as sad as it was, about a third of the girls, so we were in India a third of the girls were from the poorest region of India. A third of the girls were from Bangladesh and one third were from Nepal. So there were young ladies here that weren't even in their home country. There were multiple languages spoken because these girls have been trafficked in for this red light district that was nearby. So we went in as a group and we are not, we were brought in as a group to enjoy a national holiday with them. Like we, we didn't come as counselors. We didn't come as therapists. They have people that take care of that. We were, we were brought in to get to see what was going on, to see how these girls are recovering from the situation and you know, what's provided for them, but also just to bring some fun. So we brought, beads and things to make bracelets and we we met we did little games we did little activities it was national day and all the girls got dressed up and and I did I was I was the leader of very a very important element in teaching essential English language I did the song head shoulders knees and toes (laughs) so you know it's just it's fun it's active it's you know a few words Mm -hmm. So we were just laughing and having a good time and enjoying each other. And I remember being in front of the room, singing this children's song, teaching these young ladies. And they were all between the ages of like 15 and 18. And 
there was one young lady in the back of the room that she just, she looked like she wanted to disintegrate into the wall. Like she didn't want to be there. There was, there was nothing about her that was enjoying any part of this. And that several of us noticed her and her demeanor. And so we asked, you know, what was going on with her. And the, the staff from the safe house said they had, she hadn't been there long. She had been rescued and they were able to connect with her family, but she just found out that her family didn't want her back because she was now spoiled or dirty. You know, so here is this young lady with little or no education, probably not, definitely not in her hometown, maybe not even in her own country with a bunch of strangers. And she's just found out that her family doesn't want her back, you know, and how do you, how do you face life knowing you've been taken advantage? And it was nothing that she did. This, there was nothing that was her fault about this. And now she's in this situation. And it, that was just so hard to see and to hear. This is the situation and their, their attitudes around the world that are like that, you know? And so that that's one reason why the story about the other group that sends people into the community every day, just helping people understand, no, girls are valuable. Girls deserve to be respected. They bring so much to life. And no, don't devalue them the way culture has led us to believe. Absolutely. And, you know, I think here in the U.S., we feel that to some degree, the, you know, neglect of women, the lack of women to always have a voice or a presence. Yet we're allowed to have a discussion around it. We're allowed to speak and ask for the right to be heard and to be seen and to be able to have a presence. But in these areas, it sounds like these women probably feel like they don't even have a voice or right. the ability to be heard or for their rights or even their basic needs and safety to be recognized. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of people, because those are two that are so obvious and so easy to spot one that we deal with in the United States. I mean, there are a couple, there are several. Poverty still exists. There is a perspective on women, maybe not as much devaluation, but definitely objectification of women. But then there's also just lack of support from friends and family. You know, someone who comes from a family who doesn't give a rip, you know, and then you've got lack of support from friends, like a kid that has no friends. One of the, one of the most vulnerable groups in our country are kids in the foster system because that family support is not there and they get shuffled around. They get bounced around from house to house. So that is huge. Like that lack of support from friends and family objectification, but then there's also just insecurity. And how many teenage girls are insecure? 100%. 100%. (laughs) To varying levels. You know, I remember being a teenager. 
I thought everybody had it all. And you, there were some people you're like, oh, they don't have it all together. But most, for the most part, I'm like, everybody's got it all together except for me. We all deal with insecurity as teenagers because we're in that transition from childhood to adulthood. So it's not only happening in world, you know, halfway around the world. It's not only happening in third world nations. It's happening in every city around the world. I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, you're thinking, oh, trafficking doesn't happen where I live, do a search for your city and hit human trafficking. And I would pretty much guarantee you're going to find articles about a human trafficking raid that would, that happened or a bust because it is happening. Technology has made it, technology has changed the face of trafficking and exploiting people. You know, there used to be that part of town or, oh, that corner, that street, that's where you would go and see people that looked like they were selling themselves. Often there's a pimp somewhere nearby controlling that person selling themselves. And they, they really were not given options. They really were not in control. It just, they made it, they made it look like they were. But now technology and you can look up online and order a girl. You can order a guy as easily as you can order a pizza. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the reality of trafficking now. It does it still happen on street corners? Yes. Not nearly like it used to. Now it's now it's cell phones. Now it's websites. Yeah. And you know, you spoke to insecurity and also, you know, I imagine it's also a matter of sort of devaluation, these humans who are treated just as objects for others. Did you I mean, obviously the women who begin to, to work for you, but when you see these people emerge from that lifestyle, I can speak for, you know, I grew up in the U.S. and for so many others, as you said, you know, we don't have to look across the world. We look right here at our homes and we, we feel our own deep insecurities, even though we might have financial and other stability in our lives. There's a million different reasons for humans to find ways to experience a lack of worth and to question whether or not they matter. And I think that's one of the biggest things is I think more people than not will find a reason to wonder, do I even matter? Am I, do I even have any inherent worth? Because there's so many things around us to say, well, I'm not like this or I don't have that, so I must not be enough. Mm-hmm. Or something may happen to them, you know? I mean, there's there's human trafficking, but there's also childhood sexual abuse and all these things that you know a child isn't able to comprehend. You can't comprehend right. why you would ever be treated that way. And when you don't have the support around you to heal and to really address that kind of trauma, it just sort of, you know, really gets built up inside of you. It, it festers as deep trauma wounds, mm-hmm. right? So when you work with these women, that's a hard thing to come out of, you know, to say, okay, I went through this, but I can move on. I can have a new life. That's hard. Right. And it's definitely a process. You know, it's, it's not survivor comes out of red light district, gets training, gets counseling, gets a job and moves on and it's done. That's just the beginning of the healing. The healing process 
just continues. And, you know, even with when they come in, I was talking to one of the owners of the center, one of the centers we partner with, and she said, evaluating where they are when they come in, she had a young lady that came in and didn't want to just was having a hard time communicating with people, having a hard time being around people. And she was thankful to be there, but she just was not at a point where she could be in relationship. And so the owner said, well, you know what? One of the things that we need is we need thank you notes written to our partners. So if you want to do that, and she said, I will do that. And she sat in a room and she wrote thank you notes. And that, that was what she could handle at the time, you know? And so it's so, it's so amazing to see how these centers work with the ladies and work with the, the people coming in that have experienced this extreme trauma because they'll come in and they just kind of do menial tasks. Like with the t-shirt group that I told you about, I talked to, I talked to one of the people on staff there and, you know, she said, there are times we get people and we put them through the training to sew the t-shirts and they just don't get it. And we'll give them a couple more weeks of training and they cannot sew a straight line. So we say, how about you bag the t-shirts? <laughs> like, Okay, I can put tags on and I can put it in a bag, but that's needed. You know, and so when you think about these groups that we're partnering with, you know, so for example, the this one place where they needed thank you notes, this young lady sat and she wrote thank you notes. And then there are other people that come in and they're working on actually putting the jewelry together, making the jewelry, assembling the jewelry, and then it needs packaging and then it needs to be shipped and they need inventory counts and they need to order supplies. The, the ladies end up taking on different responsibilities. And what, what else do they need? As one of their partners, I need to see the product. So I need good photos. So they learn photography, they're learning photo editing, they're learning website design, they're learning management skills. And in their spare time, they're offered, they are, they have the ability to take these classes so that they're learning Microsoft and all of the, all of who knows how many pieces of Microsoft there are now, you know, but they're learning how to do spreadsheets and they're learning how to do Word documents. And you know, so all of these skills kind of looking at, okay, who is this young lady? What are some of her skills? What are some of her talents, her leanings? And putting her in an area, is she good at accounting or is she going to be better with sewing or is she going to be better at photography or inventory? These are all things that are needed with a business. They learn the elements of the business and they're around people that understand the trauma they've been through. They can, they can build those relationships, not to mention the fact that working with your hands, like when they come in and they're starting with making jewelry, working with your hands is so therapeutic. Absolutely. They they're surrounded by this loving environment. They're working with their hands. They're making beautiful things. These people who have been told you're not worth anything 
are now making beautiful things that are being sold around the world. It's just, it's, it's so lovely to hear the stories about the ladies that have, you know, and how they progress through the system and how they, the program, I guess, not the system, but one of the pieces we have these, there's, there are two pieces, actually, there's like a circle and it's silver and black or it's gold and black. So one has a star cut out. So the silver one is the gift of starlight and the gold one has a heart cut out. And so it looks like two pieces of a necklace that are magnetic and they're not actually magnetic, but it has been cut in half. So you have a circle that's been cut in half and a shape has been cut out of the middle. Well, these are put together and they are, they are made by these, these women coming out of red light districts. But that middle piece, the star and the heart that is cut out of the necklace is made into another necklace and those teams, the outreach teams that go and build relationships with the community, those teams take the necklaces. So they have necklaces of a heart or a star. So we sell the outside piece where the heart or star has been cut out, but that heart or star is put on a different chain, taken out into red light districts and given to girls still working in, in that life to young ladies that are still being exploited and they, the outreach teams give them the necklace and they say, we don't want anything from you. This is a gift, nothing needed, but we want you to know that you are valuable and you are worthwhile and someone wearing the other part of this necklace is standing for your freedom. These necklaces are cherished by these young ladies and they they have young ladies coming to the center and saying, I remember what you said, and I want to leave this life. When we talked before, we talked about, because when I, you know, when we first connected, I knew a bit about the type of work you do because of a book I read called Half the Sky. Mm. And you mentioned that you read that as well. Cried through good parts of it. <laughs> Yeah. And I would recommend it to anyone. Mm-hmm. Half the sky. It's about, you know, the fact that really women are not given their place in the sky, in the world to, to soar, to fly, to have success, to be, to bring forth themselves and their gifts. And that's a lot about what this podcast is for, is to mm-hmm. offer a platform to speak to the absence of women in the grander scheme of things in terms of being able to have a presence with the amazing feminine power that we have. And mm-hmm. so this book speaks to that. And it talks about what you were just saying, which is that, you know, sort of the upsetting thing is that some women will stay in this because they don't know that they have a way out. They don't know that there is such thing as freedom and that they right. will have an ability to to find it and experience it. And so to have someone reach out to them and say, yes, you deserve to have that. And there is a way is just phenomenal that that exists. Yeah, it is. It's so, it's so much fun to be able to share the stories behind these products, you know, because often I end up at an event or I'm talking to people about our products and I, you know, it's, it's an interesting blend. I end up at a networking event and I end up talking about fashion and human trafficking 
And people are like, whoa, <laughs> like, this really beautiful, lighthearted thing and this really dark atrocity. Um, but it is really fun in some of the uh, some of the venues and some of the conferences that I've been to. I have customers that come back and they they search me out and they find me and they're like, okay, I need more. I need to buy some more gifts and I'm going to buy from you. But they also come back and they show me these pieces and they're like, I wear this all the time so that I remember, you know, who, who this is helping. And, you know, like I, I mentioned our seek justice necklace, that one, that one is just so cool. And I've had so many attorneys and lawyers come to me and they say, every time I go to court, I wear this so that I remember what my job is. Wow. And, you know, and I, I love that. And so many times I will, I have people come back and they're like, as soon as I started carrying my purse, somebody said, oh, I like your purse. And you know what I got to do? I got to tell them this was made by a survivor of human trafficking. And so, you know, I, I talked about my business plan and the fact that it took me a while. I, it was a lot, it was quite a learning curve, but my friends kept telling me, they're like, you sound like you're talking about sad pup. You're, you sound like one of those sad puppy commercials. <laughs> oh yeah. I can imagine because that's, that's where my heart is. You know, like this is a horrible, horrible thing. But one of the things that I didn't anticipate with the business model, getting a better understanding of business models. I didn't anticipate how excited our customers would be when they got to share the story. You know, I'm like, okay, here's a, here's a population. If we provide dignified employment here, that is incredibly helpful. That changes lives. If we sell these products, that increases hours of dignified employment. But I didn't, I just didn't know how excited customers would be when they got to be the advocate for the the people that were helping. Yeah. So on both ends, both those who are making the products and the jewelry and excited to be producing something that to them indicates freedom and hope and is something beautiful. And then those that get to feel inspired by having these products and purchasing these products. You know, it's, it's a really incredible sharing and exchange that's occurring. And, you know, I love Dawn that it is, it's, it's an example of, you know, something that is a terrible atrocity that occurs in our world yet, you know, just because that there is darkness in our world and people experience the utter depravity that life can incur on us that doesn't mean that we should be sentenced to a life of doom and gloom. Mm. You know, the, the whole point is to be able to come out of those things and say, I am still worthy of a, a life of being free and of beauty. And, you know, I think that your, your work indicates that because they're able to create something that is represents freedom and beauty and expression and all these things that they might not have experienced, how exciting that it can. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we have this mindset that, oh, everything has to be bleak around this because it's such a bleak thing. Yet we need to have that belief that there can be beauty after utter deprivation. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's a fun way to be able to help 
Yeah. You know, I mean, we I mean, all love you. We, <laughs> we need to be able to say, okay, if we don't, if, if we are really impacted by this understanding of the way things are, what can we do? Let's get creative right. about it. Let's get, you know, empowered around it. Let's inspire people about this rather than just feel this, this deep, sadness, which there's a time and place for that too, because mm-hmm. we're all human. And that's when we remember that we're human is when you feel, which it sounds like you did that deep sense in your soul that just r- cries out for these people that just feels this, oh my God, this lack of being able to comprehend that this is right. happening. But then you, we have to move into something else. We have to say, I can't stay here. I can't just stay here in this place of sadness for them. I, I let, what can we move into now? How can we transmute this energy into something that raise that energy, make it into something hopeful exactly. for these people? Because it doesn't help anybody to just get just as, as scared and hopeless. You right. Know? Just, just living there doesn't help. I mean, and like, like you said, we were chatting before and, you know, there are people who just say, oh, that's too hard. I don't want to talk about it. Well, that doesn't help. And just to live in it and wallow in it and go, oh, that's so horrible. And just stay there. But I think so often when we see injustice, when we see vulnerable people being exploited, when we see people taking a taken advantage of. I think that so often is what drives us. Yeah. Like that generates such an amazing energy and drive towards, okay, this, this is wrong and it needs to be righted, you know? And I think the caution with that, I have to tell you, it's, I, I live in a, an interesting space between fashion and human trafficking. <laughs> really is two very different worlds and neither world really knows what to do with me because you know I just yeah I'm I'm living in two worlds that are very different but I've had people say oh made for freedom you're helping survivors of sex trafficking yes we are okay can I go on a raid and one that shows that they don't understand what how we are helping because like you said, there are so many, there are so many facets and there's so many things that lead to this horrible situation. And there are so many ways to help relieve this or help get people out of the situation. And we are just, we are just a small part. Like we are made for freedom. I absolutely believe in the value and the impact. I've seen the impact that we make, but we're just a small part. You know, we are trying to provide dignified employment. There are so many other pieces that are needed to help survivors really move forward in life. But, you know, people, people often think, okay, safe house. I'm just, I'm going to go into a red light district and I'm going to snatch a girl out and I'm going to save her. And that's okay. One, if that's what you want to do, please don't, unless you have been trained, unless you really know unless you really know what you're doing, because yes, I understand wanting to do something and being so angry at this injustice, but knowing how to do it well, knowing what is actually benefiting them is important. So that's, that would be my caution. Do something. Don't, don't not do something. You know, if you are angry and you're like, this is so wrong, I get it. 
I live there. That's the only reason Made for Freedom exists is because it is so wrong. And I so desperately wanted to do something, but do something that you are able to do and you're able to do well, that's not actually going to hurt, you know, people. And that is, is genuinely impacting them and in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And on that note, Don, you know, you have a lot of wonderful resources on your website and I'm wondering if you could share a little, because to your point, offer some people a little bit of understanding around the nature of human trafficking. For example, I know that you have offer five key components of exploitation so that people can, Mm. how can you share that with us? Sure. We, I've, I've met so many people that, that are excited about what we do and they understand the impact and they're like, okay, yeah, I bought a necklace and I bought a scarf, but I want to do more. Like, I understand that this is making a positive impact, but how can I do more? How can I get more involved? And so we put together these deep fashion events, which deep is it kind of, we use that term for two reasons. One, it's an acronym dignified employment empowers and protects because that's what we do we're talking about preventing this for those who are marginalized and empowering those who have been exploited and you've heard me talk a lot about dignified employment so deep is the acronym there but it's also it's it's kind of what you would think of as a home party you know a little home party you what we would do is We have these packs that you can purchase and you can use them as gifts or you can bring people in and we give you a presentation and we help you present this issue and be part of the solution because it's always hand in hand. It's always these two. It's the issue and the solution. I don't want to talk just about the jewelry because the whole purpose of the jewelry is the impact it's making to fight this issue. And I don't want to just talk about human trafficking because that's just the issue. Let's talk about an action that we can do. And that's, that's providing dignified employment. So that's part of the solution. So we also, I also appreciate the word deep because we go deep. This is not just a lighthearted, oh, we're selling jewelry. We're selling cutesy fun things. We are. But we're going to go deep into the topic of exploitation. We're going to talk about hard things and we're going to help this presentation that comes with the pack. It talks about exploitation. It helps understand, okay, this is what happens in some situations around sex trafficking. This is kind of what it looks like for labor trafficking. These are some ways that you can be a better consumer to help prevent being part of this supply chain that is not helpful, but it's actually creating exploitation. So, so anyway, we have this go deep thing and it's the, the women we're kind of rolling this out. We've been rolling this out a little bit and the women who have attended and have hosted love it. And they just walk away with a new understanding, but it's for the host. It's really, it's really been good because they're like, okay, I want to do more. And they, you know, so we have all sorts of people that have gotten on board and they're like, okay, yes, I want to buy, I want to, when I'm looking for my Christmas list or when my friend has a birthday, 
I know where I'm shopping because I know I understand the impact. And then there are the people who are like, okay, I want, I want to tell more people about this. I want them to understand this as well. Fantastic. Yeah. So does that incorporate the five key components? Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was your question. That is the presentation. Okay. So go deep is kind of this, it's the, it's the product and the presentation that comes with it is the five key components of exploitation. And so the presentation that I mentioned is talking about vulnerabilities, procurers, perpetrators, what does exploitation really look like? Return or risk, uh, rescue and restore. And then the final one, which is return and reintegrate. And, you know, I talked quite a bit about vulnerabilities earlier and I, the presentation just goes into all those other elements as well. Okay. Wonderful. And then what, what are some of the situations that make people vulnerable to exploitation? Well, one of the big ones is poverty and, you know, global poverty, the definition for poverty, I believe globally is less than $2 a day. And obviously this is, this changes with cost of living and things like that, but that's kind of seen as the level that's if you're making $2 a day or less, you're in poverty. Extreme poverty, $1.25 a day. So there are situations all over the world where people are living in poverty. When you can't afford to feed your children, when you can't afford food, when you can't afford a place to live, it makes you vulnerable and you are more willing. You don't, you don't have the choices that you would have if you had a good job, if you were able to pay for the essentials in life. And recently, over the past year and a half with COVID, this has really, really damaged the progress we've been making globally. So there are several, there are several groups dealing with trying to alleviate poverty that say COVID sent us back 20 years in the work to alleviate poverty because of all the shutdowns, all of the businesses that closed, everything that came with it. So extreme poverty is far greater now than it was two years ago. Wow. That's remarkable. That's discouraging yet. Right. I don't think anyone's giving up. Right. Right. So, so but it is, you know, makes us mindful that that means that there's going to be more people who are vulnerable to mm-hmm. that exploitation at this time. So, Don, another area that I'd like you to speak on a little bit is the idea of having a social enterprise. A lot of the women that are on this show are entrepreneurs. They're women healers, spiritual workers, or people who are working for a cause to lift women up, to empower women. So where does uh, having a, a, a business enterprise meet, you know, social causes? How do you bring those two together? People who say, well, I want to do something, but I want to make sure that the business I'm running is, has an impact, you know, has a social impact along with being an enterprise. How does that work? I would say one of, one of the things that needs to be considered very strongly is supply chain. You know, we are, choosing 
to work specifically with centers that are providing dignified employment for survivors. That is a very specific search for a supply chain. Like it, we, we don't have an easy supply chain search, but if you're building a business and you're selling things, whether you're selling scarves, whether you're selling widgets, whether you're selling marbles, you know, whatever it is you're selling, look at your supply chain. So I'll tell you this. Oh my goodness. When I was getting started with Made for Freedom, a friend of mine that I worked with, her daughter in a, in the job while I was just researching Made for Freedom, her daughter died to due to breast cancer. And the mother brought a magazine in and was you know, just kind of letting people order something if they wanted to, because everything in the magazine was pink and it had all sorts of stuff. I love pink. I love scarves. And there was this pink scarf. It was kind of like faded from pink to white. I was like, okay, that's cool. That's more than I would normally spend on a scarf. But this woman, her daughter died, her daughter was a friend of mine. I don't want people to die from breast cancer. If this actually can help fight breast cancer and alleviate that, okay. And I like pink and I like scarves. I'll buy the scarf. So I buy the scarf and it's one of those things where you had to order it and I had to wait a couple weeks until it came in. And so, and I'm thinking, okay, because all over the magazine, it's like fighting breast cancer, recent, you know, this, this supports, you know, this money is going to provide research to fight breast cancer. And a couple of weeks go by and I'm looking at the magazine a little bit more and I'm, and then I see the fine print and 0.05% of the money made was actually going to research. And I was so hacked off. I was like, are you kidding me? You, you, you put this huge price tag on this scarf, promoting how much good you're doing. 0 0.05, 0 0.05, not 0.5, not 0.1, 0 0.05. <laughs> it was just like, and while... And that was while I was researching Made for Freedom and I was getting a better understanding of the fashion industry. And not too long after that, I think was when Rana Plaza collapsed, the, where, the sweatshop in Bangladesh in Rana Plaza collapsed and hundreds of people died. You know, and I'm, I'm listening to these reports of these people dying in a sweatshop and they were making, I mean, they were hardly making anything. And I'm like, you're not telling us about your supply chain. You, you're just promoting, oh, we're fighting breast cancer and I'm spending way more money than I normally would spend. But where are you getting this scarf? Are you getting the scarf from a, where, from a sweatshop in Bangladesh? Because if you are getting this, if you're getting any product, if you are purchasing from someplace that's not paying a living wage, if you're buying it from a sweatshop, you're buying the cheapest product you can find and turning it around and giving it a big margin so that you're making more money, 
if if you're working with a sweatshop, you're working with a factory that's not paying well, not supporting, not providing well for their employees, that is driving them into poverty. And poverty is one of the leading causes that make people vulnerable to exploitation. So if you're ordering products, if you are working with a group that is providing a poverty wage, you're part of the problem. So here's this group, and I don't know where the scarf was made, but I know how this thing works. I'm getting a better idea of how this whole supply chain thing happens and businesses ordering for the least amount of money, slapping on a huge amount and saying they're doing really good things when they're given like teeny tiny fraction. But they also are providing, they are part of the reason people are vulnerable and they're part of the problem. Yeah. And, you know, I think that a lot of people feel that way. It's, it can be hard to feel that you can find a reliable or trustworthy source, whether, you know, an organization that, as you said, that claims to be offering something to, to offer support and enrichment for the lives of certain people. But then you find, I mean, it's happened a lot in the past, I would say like even 10 years about certain nonprofit organizations that turns out. Mm-hmm wasn't wasn't so much being given to the cause right and that's disconcerting I mean here we are we're already frustrated what can we do what can we do and then we think okay great I can give my money I can give my time I can do this and then we find out oh wait a minute what was what was sort of promised to us or what we were told wasn't really the truth that we didn't read the mm-hmm. fine print and that really this wasn't helping the situation at all. And so I think that just unfortunately leads to the discouragement. So it's wonderful to know that there are people out there with sound practices and businesses that truly are in it for their hearts and their souls because something got stirred in them. And they said, I can't, like you did, I can't, you know, move any further in my life without doing something about this, you know? And, And I think it's, and I'm hopeful because I think that's happening more and more. I think that, you know, people are really wanting to, in this life, do something that is for the evolving of us into something that's wor- that's more fair and leads to a more free and dignified life for all people, not just some people. Because at the end of the day, we all feel some sense of a connection to every single human being. It's just the way it is. Right. And to know that there are some of us out there who are living in such horrid conditions we can't, you know, nobody's conscious is really clear. That's what I've come to realize. It doesn't matter where you are in this world. When we know that's part of our species out there suffering so much, we never really feel like we can totally feel at peace and at ease. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the problem we're facing. So I think that, you know, what you described, it's when like your soul calling is really coming up. And once your soul calls, there's no turning back. It's pretty, you know, <laughs> sounds pretty loud and the way you described it Don is I think happens to a lot of people is it's almost this force that takes over and there's no really stopping you and and what I love is that once you start following that calling things just tend to come together resources Mm -hmm. people the means to do the work that you feel so compelled towards it comes together and it Mm -hmm. happens just like it did for you and that's why I think it's so important for your story to be heard for others Mm -hmm. to hear it and to know that it is possible to do good in this world and to make a difference in the lives of others. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's, yeah. It is a hard road, but it is so 
It is so rewarding. And it's such a, it's such an amazing part. It, it, it's an amazing piece of the puzzle. You know, one of, I'm, I'm going to tell you about one more of our pieces because it's such a, I love it. It's this rhinestone starfish. And the reason this group made this starfish is because it was inspired by that story of the little boy on the beach. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but throwing it back. Uh, yeah, tell us, tell yeah. us. I gotta hear it. Somebody has yeah. heard it. So there's there's an old man, and he was walking along the beach, and thousands of starfish had washed up on shore. And he comes up to this young boy who is picking them up and throwing them in one by one. He's like, "What are you doing?" And the little boy said, "I'm saving the starfish, sir." And the old man said, "Young man." There are thousands of starfish. What, how can you change this at all? And he picked up, the little boy picked up a starfish and he tossed it in. He said, I made a change in the life of that one. You know, and looking at the enormity of this issue, sometimes it is, it's overwhelming and it's daunting. But knowing full well that there are lives being changed, even with this one bracelet, this one t-shirt. Um, it, it's like, okay, I'm at least doing my part. What, what more can I do? Like, don't turn around, don't ignore it. Do what you can do, whatever that is. Yeah. So everyone can feel like they're doing their part. Yeah. Wow. Well, Don, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing about your work and for creating this amazing company, you know, for, for bringing this into existence made for freedom, which has such a beautiful message. And can you share with us if people would like to find you and find made for freedom and find these products, these beautiful products that are being made, how can they find them? Sure. We are at, we easiest is online or any social, pretty much any social thing. Um, made for freedom. We have a beautiful hummingbird is our logo. So look for the hummingbird and um, yeah, madeforfreedom.com. And if you're interested, you know, it's being, being part of it and helping fight this can be as easy as sharing this podcast. It can be as easy as sharing on social media, following us and sharing um, purchasing product provides that dignified employment that is so crucial. If you want, if you're interested in doing even more, you know, you're like, okay, I love my bracelet. I love my necklace. I want to do more Then look at, you know, under go deep. And there's a, there's a tab on our website that says go deep. And, and I also, I've put together um, a special landing page just for people listening to the podcast. And I will, so look in the show notes and there's a link and there's a PDF that I've put together. And it just, it's just more information. Cause I think the main thing, like for people who want to get involved, you educate yourself, you, you do something, you take some sort of action. And then if you want to do even more, you want to make a greater impact, you know, there, there are things you can do that you can go deep, but there's, um, 
there's a PDF and it just educates about the red flags, the risk factors and action items. And then there's a special link with a shopping, a special deal on one of my favorite pieces, the Seek Justice Necklace. So there's a special deal for podcast listeners and um, more information about going deep if you want, if you're interested in that. Fantastic. All right. Yes. All of those will be in the show notes as well as more information to, and ways to reach you mm-hmm. and find out and connect with Made for Freedom. So thank you so much, Dawn. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show and, and so wonderful to get this insight. So thank you for sharing with us your story and your insight and your wisdom and about the work that you're doing to make a difference and to allow an an avenue for others to make a difference as well. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure. You're very welcome. Thanks, Don. Take care. Have a great day. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.